What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of A Dad and His PC. I'm your host, Trey Davis. Thank you for joining me again tonight or today or whenever it is that you downloaded this podcast, wherever it is that you're downloading this podcast. So uh, be sure to like, subscribe, comment to any of our socials on the uh, in the description and to this podcast itself, wherever you found it. Make sure to leave those comments. Uh, last week we talked about a few things. First was the Netflix show bump, which is a weird thing to say out loud. Even again, as I say it this week, uh, for cyberpunk 2077, they've seen a massive uptick in concurrent player counts due to the release of the edge runner anime and all of the awesome mods and opportunities that have come for modders with that game. And so they've seen a massive uptick. What game that was borderline dead has found new life and risen from the grave. So we talk about the Netflix bump and and what it's kind of done for previous games as well as the current stuff getting that bump. Uh, next, we talked about the the Octopath Traveler sequel. Uh, Square Enix had a fantastic video about an hour long. It's on YouTube still. Uh, that was from TGS 2022. And they pretty much broke down everything that that game is is bringing to the table. And it's hard to say that this sequel will surpass a game as, as nearly flawless as Octopath Traveler. But the sequel looks to be doing that. And lastly, uh, at the end of the show, kind of did a behind the scenes of, of what these this last month and a half, two months have been like. Uh, trying to come up with and create a show every week uh, with basically no real experience in this beyond what I did in college and and it's been uh, an interesting little run. So this week, uh, we got some pretty major announcements. And the best part is it's in the non-video game front of uh, as far as PC gaming is concerned, at least. Uh, first on today's show, we're going to talk about Twitch's pay split change coming from uh, Amazon as they claim that it allegedly needs to lower the split due to costs, basically, uh, to help shore up costs. Second up on the show today, uh, we're going to talk about the groundbreaking announcement from NVIDIA of their newest GPU, the RTX 4090. Uh, we already knew the 4000 series was, uh, or the 40 series, I don't know why they call it the 40, it's 4000 series. Uh, we're coming out soon and we're already going to be some of the most advanced uh, GPUs on the market. But then uh, I guess because of the leaks, maybe not because of the leaks, but everybody in the world knew that this card was coming. And so they just decided, let's let's get out in front of it and said that the 4090 is coming out with all the other 40 series. And so that's huge. We'll talk about that a little later. And then finally, uh, with the release of Saints Row and a number of other ports and reboots, I kind of wanted to talk about if nostalgia is enough to create a desire to play a game or does there actually need to be more? So without further ado, let's get to the show and bring up the whole Twitch lowering split for top streamers. Okay, so the biggest news that is basically not game-specific news uh, breaking uh, breaking this week and, and in recent memory is, is that on Thursday, basically a big Thursday news dump uh, that Amazon probably wishes everyone had ignored, uh, Twitch is lowering the revenue split on subs to 50-50, making it the lowest of the services available from the 70-30 split previously known and, and utilized by streamers. Now, the top percentage of revenue makers on the platform can still enjoy that old split. Uh, they'll be grandfathered in, uh, but only up to their first $100,000. Uh, 
with every dollar after now being a part of that 50-50 split. So think of it kind of like a, a marginal rate with taxes where uh, basically after a certain level of income up to a point, you pay one tax bracket, but every dollar after, well, now it enters this new marginal rate, right? Uh, so C.C. Uh, Jang's article in Kotaku stated that 22,000 creators on the platform have asked Twitch to make every uh, basically make everybody, regardless of the grandfathering, have the full-time 50-50 splits, which when you really think about it, should probably be what they do. Um, you're, you're making this big, huge mess. There's more of the people in the small streamer room than there are in the big, massive creator room. And so you should probably uh, just make it the same for everyone regardless because this doesn't really affect the uh, streamers that are in the high-end money-wise. It, it's a... It seems like it's a lot, but they're doing much better than um, a, a smaller streamer would in terms of money. Um, obviously, the creators aren't happy, uh, especially the small and mid-tier streamers, as I just said, who are now seeing a significant change in their revenue streams at their expense as the upper echelon still gets to have the bigger split up to a point. And while I understand that it's like, well, yeah, the, the but the bigger people who are, uh, you know, after that hundred thousand dollars, if they're making 200, 300, 400,000, uh, a month, the first hundred, yeah, they keep the 70, keep 70 of the, of the 100, but everything after that, you only keep half and you're sitting there thinking, yeah, in one month they've made more money than, uh, than, than someone makes in an entire year. So those upper level streamers aren't hurting. They're complaining a large amount, a lot, and they have a louder voice with the complaints, but they're not hurting for money. Again, this doesn't affect them nearly as much as it affects those who don't make six figures a month on streaming. Um, now, Amazon and Twitch's reasoning is flimsy, but it's not asinine. Server costs have gone up, and the creators will need to pick up the tab given that they have free access to what is essentially the best option and the standard bearer in the industry, which is um, Amazon and AWS's and Twitch's argument on the other side of this, which brings to the question, what is fair and not fair for content creation, right? Um, as of right now, there's not a single platform as good or as user-friendly as Twitch, period, the end. There, there isn't. Um, you can go to Caffeine, you can stream on YouTube, there are a bunch of other places and alternatives, absolutely. But with the brand recognition, the complete domination of the uh, area and of this genre, right? And there's there's nothing better, okay? Uh, YouTube is an option, but their streaming system isn't as friendly as Twitch. And, and their streaming is weird. It, it doesn't, there's a, for whatever reason, it's not as smooth. It looks great, but, and, and it's also on YouTube, right? And I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, you also have to deal with the significant traffic of YouTube, right? It's hard enough standing out on Twitch, but YouTube makes Twitch seem quaint. So like on average, there's 140 million users a month on Twitch which is part of why Amazon bought it in the first place. I mean, that's a that's a huge chunk of eyeballs, right? Um, or potential potential customers and potential eyeballs. The possibilities are endless for them, right? That's why you invest in something like this. But YouTube has 2 billion. That's with a B, billion, okay? Um, at least on Twitch, you're just competing against others in a relatively similar industry. You're, you're essentially, it's an entertainment-only content creation style place, and you are fighting for entertainment dollars. Um, the, the playing field is essentially supposed to be even, or at least more even and fair than before. On YouTube, you're competing with cooking, bartenders, animals, nature cams, live TV, 
old movies that have made their way. Like there's there's so much more on YouTube that you are fighting against. So yes, you can stream and 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 have a successful channel, but it is harder and harder to find you on YouTube than necessarily Twitch. Um, in the grand scheme of numbers, again, small streamers are still going to struggle, but a small streamer in YouTube is dealing with a fraction of the issues they have to on Twitch. Now, on the business side of things, Amazon's reasoning, while flimsy, isn't without merit. Okay, the argument that Twitch is owned by Amazon, arguably the wealthiest company on earth, and this is this is the the creator's argument, doesn't mean they should continue hosting the sites for free and at a loss out of the kindness of their hearts. Okay, on the business side of things. I get it. Amazon is is swimming in money. Jeff Bezos has more money than any human can feasibly spend. Uh, they they got the he's got the wealth of some countries' entire GDPs. I understand that, um, but they they shouldn't necessarily just listen to the creators because they say so. Right? Twitch is the premier streaming platform and video content production platform on the market. And that shouldn't make it a loss leader in the accounting books, right? So, you know, Amazon just spent all this money on, on NFL football, which I've got playing in the background. And the that's a loss leader, right? The, the goal, the reason you spend billions of dollars to get one game a week is not to um, do anything other than make a profit. No, it's, it's to get eyeballs onto Amazon Prime and to get Amazon Prime subscriptions. And while, yes, a ton of people have Amazon Prime subscriptions, that doesn't mean more people can't get Amazon Prime subscriptions, okay? So that's kind of why that can be a loss leader. Whereas um, arguments that are, are, are right to say that there's there's no way that uh, the servers can need that much of a swing to cover costs. And that's probably true. But it's not about that for Amazon and Twitch. It's about turning a loss leader into a company in the black. So at the end of the day, while the creator does all the work to generate eyeballs, uh, they're getting to do it for free and with very little restrictions if we are being totally honest. Like, let's, let's be honest, some of the bans on, on Twitch have been silly. But for the most part, the people can get away with a whole hell of a lot as long as you're not doing anything that is very obviously wrong in their eyes. And there's a user-friendly system ahead of pretty much every other platform out there. Um, and that's the thing they, they, they don't need it to be a loss leader, loss leaders, um, things like that. It's the whole point of a loss leader is that you are willing to take a fiscal loss because you will make up the money somewhere else. Right. And Twitch, unlike Thursday night football, uh, Twitch is the premier program. So Thursday night football is not the premier version of the NFL. That's either Sunday night or Monday Night Football. Those are the premier shows as far as making money and getting eyeballs and all of that sort of stuff. And so you're willing to have the Thursday Night Football take the loss but get subscriptions so that people can watch football. Twitch shouldn't do that. Twitch, unlike Thursday Night Football, is the Sunday Night Football or Monday Night Football of its uh, system or of the platform, right? Uh, of the way that people can create content for this stuff. It needs to be a... Uh, basically a profit generating and revenue generating program now however what i just said is also true that the content creators do all the work so why is the money allocated for their content creation and for their ability to bring eyeballs to twitch in the first place being what's taxed right why aren't the ad revenue streams being adjusted to be more company friendly why aren't sponsorships or other programs 
seeing the split adjusted, which most, if not all, content creators would probably be okay with. Subscriptions are the fans' way, rather than straight-up donations, of telling the creators, not only do I love your channel and your content, but they want to be a part of this club. Each month you're subscribed, you're paying to be part of something more than just a TV channel, and it's the creator that makes this connection, not the platform being used. And so the the revenue split there doesn't make sense and that's where the that's where the, i think content creators should be focusing their arguments it should be less on on um just that 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 they should just keep it the way it is but rather they should be saying wait we bring these people to this channel um and we bring these eyeballs and keep them here for you and so this is the money that they pay us to uh you know be happy about that and to show how much of a fan they are and so why is this getting taxed instead you can keep the ad revenue you can keep this and instead let us keep our subscriptions um i understand twitch and aws's side of things because twitch shouldn't be a loss leader it's not like it's driving more traffic to amazon let's be honest the people that would watch twitch already have amazon prime accounts it's it's a it's a pretty the uh Venn diagram of that would basically be one circle. Um, everyone knows who Amazon is, and for the most part, in that realm, uh, Twitch is a well-known name and established brand. So you're not going to have an Amazon Prime account and suddenly magically get Twitch. Um, you know, and I'm I'm saying that again as I'm watching Prime in the background. I know I can watch also uh, on Twitch the Prime Video channel has football playing, um, so you can even watch football there. Uh, to them, it should be a prestige item. It generates profit, all of that sort of stuff. However, the margins, as we learned with Netflix and other streaming platforms, are so small, alienating your talent base to where they might leave for competitors and take the concurrent eyeballs away to advertising on other platforms probably isn't the way to go with this. You're, you, the whole point is, is that you know YouTube is, is flimsy now. It won't be forever. Um, caffeine or some of these other areas are flimsy now, but they might not be forever if they ever do get to even 80% of the uh, easeability, feasibility, and, and user-friendliness of Twitch, then you've now got a significant competitor and you've alienated your entire uh, platform, like all of your content creators. Because again, this doesn't affect the top earners in the way that, that most people would assume regardless of the fact that every dollar after a hundred thousand gets taxed heavily this doesn't even come close to affecting them though trust me they will they will still be millionaires at the end of the day but the for the tens and tens of thousands of streamers that are in that middle tier that are in that um that group of people that might be making five thousand ten thousand dollars a month and just saw their seven grand turned to five grand, those $2,000 matter. You know, they're not someone making $100,000 where, oh, shucks, now I only have 50000 instead of uh, instead of that. So they're making a whole year's worth of money. So, um, but at the end of the day, the whole, everything that comes with content creation is talent dependent. There may be new talent all the time, but you alienate enough of them, they stop populating your program and you need more young people coming to this this system. The, the average age of a gamer is 35 years old and that person needs to have a reason to go to Twitch and if you are constantly alienating and creating more and more unnecessary drama and unnecessary problems 
you will stop getting younger and younger viewers. So this is ridiculous as, as much as I can understand the, the side of things for them, the business area, this is, uh, I mean, this is a talent business. It's content creation. You make sure the talent is happy. You figure out other ways to make your money back. And it can probably start with finding more ways to make money off the NFL football thing. Uh, whatever, you know, Thursday night football is terrible in general, but getting that to make more money and instead of having that be a loss leader might be the best way to cover your alleged server costs, Twitch. So uh, now after the break, NVIDIA has showcased the RTX 4090 last week. And this new card takes their hardware to a significantly higher level. And I wanted to break it down uh, and, and talk about what is a game changer in the world of GPUs. All right, we're back on September 20th. NVIDIA announced and revealed their newest and most powerful video card to date. And its release a few weeks later on October 12th. Uh, the RTX 4090, according to their reveal, is far and away the most powerful and efficient piece of hardware they've ever created, which is saying something. Uh, with the 4080 soon to release, and with the whole world knowing from leaks that a 4090 was in the works, NVIDIA decided to throw caution to the wind and announce this video card for the 40 series, basically to coincide with the 4080s also coming to market for a massive price. Co-founder Jensen Huang uh, has promised that the 4090 to have twice the power of the RTX 3090 Ti, the previous most powerful video card on the market, in Flight Simulator, which, given what we know about the 2020 version of Flight Sim, is the most high-performance game on the market when at full specs. For those who didn't know that, Flight Simulator, because if you put it at full-on realism mode, there's a ton for the game to render, and um, the 4090 is said to be uh, twice as powerful and provide twice the performance of the 3090 Ti. So this new card can run Flight, Swim, uh, Flight Sim twice as well as what the previous best card on the market could. Now, before I bury the lead too much, uh, for the price of a moderate to high quality gaming PC, you can own this GPU. That's right. For the price of a PC or the down payment on a used car, you can own this video card. It's $15.99 seems to be the starting price. And what uh, basically, basically in order to have 24 gigabytes of uh, GDDR6X uh, memory, uh, you are going to need to put down uh, the down payment of a used Honda Civic. Now, uh, they're confident that this GPU, which looked like basically from holding up in all the pictures and images I saw, like it was uh, the size of a 1980s mini boombox, uh, which will run 31 gigabits per second, vastly outperforming the 3090, uh, but will do it without an increase in power usage. So for all that money, you are getting twice the power at the same energy costs. So the 450 watt demands of the 3090 Ti, which is so much energy and power, uh, are the same for this 4090. So not only are you getting double the performance, you're getting twice the efficiency which is huge. When I was talking about groundbreaking, this is what I'm talking about. They've uh, basically ramped up the performance while not having to ramp up the energy cost. 
the literature they released show that Cyberpunk 2077 will run, basically the ray tracing that is used there, will run nearly four and a half times better on the 4090 than the 3090. And even high performance games like Dark Tide, where there's a ton of stuff that has to be rendered and has to be rendered fast. And the Division 2 will be close to or twice as better performing than the 3090. And again, the 3090 is a hell of a card. The 3090 Ti is 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 a phenomenal card. You can run Division 2 on that with full refresh rate of around 140 FPS, which is pretty good for the Division 2 given the the nature of the game being a, a console to PC port where it, it should be able to run smooth at 80 frames per second. You could get 145 running smooth with no lag on the 3090 and no, no worries about crashes. And uh, the 4090 is going to be twice the, the power and twice the performance there. Uh, the 4080s aren't no slouch either and provide a cost, alter- cost alternative with the, the 4080 coming in at around uh, $1,200. Uh, and the 4070 that's also being called a 4080 for some reason, uh, coming in at around $900. And now, while these GPUs are awesome, that doesn't mean you need to put down, a, a, a again, like I said, uh, a down payment for a used Honda Civic on them. Uh, right now, the, the 3090 Ti can be found anywhere from $950 to $1,100. But in a couple weeks, that price will drop significantly because these new cards will simply outclass it. I mean, they're again. I, I can't emphasize this enough. From everything, everything that was shown and talked about, and and shown through performance data and all that, the forty series is even the lowest tier forty series card. The the one that's going to be about nine hundred at release. The the forty seventy that they're also calling a forty eighty. Um, it it outperforms significantly the thirty ninety. It is at, at least a one and a half to two times better on a lot of systems. And, or a lot of games, a lot of, of stuff that, that, that's out there on the market right now. Um, and so even with all of that, the 3090, it, which is a, a significantly amazing card right now, is retailing at around $900, uh, which means that if that is currently, um, you know, the or not $900, what I'm saying is you can find a, a 3090, my bad, you can find a 3090 from anywhere from 950 to 1100 and so if that's what that is now, before the 40 series comes out, right, the uh, the, the lowest tier 40 series card is at around 900 bucks. That 3090 Ti card is about to be anywhere from 550 to $750. And, and that's massive. That is massive quality. That is amazing quality for a non-existent price. We're talking... For a, a third of the price of the 4090. Yes, the 4090 is going to be something that, that's unbelievable. But again, that's $1,500. That's goddamn ridiculous. Okay, that is unnecessary in terms of money. And, you know, if you got it, go get it. Great. If you've, if you've got $1,500 uh, expendable income, what is essentially rent in a, a whole bunch of places in, in where I live in Texas, uh, $1,500 can get you a, a three-bedroom three bath apartment or it can get you a townhome a monthly townhome and uh, so if you're willing to if you have the ability to pay for it go for it but for the rest of us living on a budget the 3090 ti right now i've got a 2080 and the the ability to go to that 3090 for 500 bucks is incredibly tempting or even if it's 750 dollars that is um i would take a 
the leap from the 2080 to the 3090 would be huge and for you know 750 bucks that's absolutely worth it and while the 4070 is is superior to the 3090 it's not so much better that i should just flop down the extra 150 dollars to get that card because if you're going to get a 40 series you might as well get the 4080 at 1200 or you might as well just be able to go get the 4090 getting that 4070 is stupid if you can get a 3090 ti which will run smooth and be fantastic and give 90 percent of the performance of that 4070 okay uh having the 3090 will make pretty much everything that exists now run at absurd levels look great and be phenomenal so um if you are a hobbyist who has that kind of money go for it but this this card is 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 amazing you know i can make all the jokes i want about the price but this 4090 is a huge leap the the, the big thing here is is the is the energy efficiency um if they are getting to a point where they can max out and peak performance without increasing significantly increasing energy costs that's huge you know when the 50 series or the 60 series comes out in in a few years that is in and if the energy cost doesn't require going into the 550 to the 650 watt demands that's huge that is a big deal in terms of technological performance we are we might be hitting a point of exponential growth which it would be great it'd be great for everybody because that means eventually they're going to get to a point where they aren't going to be able to legitimately put things at fifteen hundred dollars those those high-end very high quality cards will be so energy efficient and therefore less expensive to make that yeah it won't they're not going to suddenly make them a thousand dollars but twelve hundred or eleven hundred instead of nearly you know we're almost a two grand for this card that's pretty good um it's also going to make things for the average person who doesn't have a high-end computer or high-end energy uh, power systems or any of that to be able to get these high-end cards without having to break the bank and also get a brand new uh power system for their computer and that's also great for the grand scheme of things and for gamers in general pc gamers in general uh so i'm incredibly excited about this card more less so for my ability to use it and more so about i think it represents a technological leap that will only keep getting better because again if you can make these high-end high-powered cards also energy efficient i know 450 watts is still a ton of power but again it is a massive leap in performance while not increasing energy cost that's huge um, if this is the way things are trending and we are seeing a little bit of exponent we're in a portion of of, of now exponential growth in this market and in this uh, realm then that's awesome and you should be incredibly excited if you are a pc gamer uh, because good times are coming and they're coming soon so uh nvidia again continues to be a leader in video cards even after their most recent divorce with a manufacturer uh this new card is promising uh to double the current best output that is available while also uh giving massive leap in efficiency given how powerful the 3090 ti is and its power usage uh, the NVIDIA card, uh, NVIDIA themselves continue to innovate and move the goal line and what is achievable and possible with their hardware. So finally, um, you know, with, with that being said, and with the amazing things coming from the hardware portion, uh, with Saints Row 
sales uh, have not been up to the expectation of their CEO. And after a slew of ports and reboots in the last year, uh, I'm kind of wondering if nostalgia is enough or still enough, or do customers expect better? And are they more discerning with their money and what they spend on and what they buy as far as games are going? So when we come back from a short break, we're going to talk about stuff like that. gotten into this really weird habit of saying we all the time even though I'm the only person talking I have no idea why I'm doing it I I promise I'll probably get over it unless I don't that's that's another thing but anywho now that we're back uh the sales of the Saints Row reboot have not been to the likings of the CEO and given its performance uh they're pretty disappointed over there uh according to gameindustries.biz Saints Row lost to GTA 5 in Europe and finish just above the new FIFA. And Video Game Chronicle has it losing to Madden NFL 23 in the United States. Now, normally, that wouldn't be a big deal. Uh, both of those titles are massive, massive games. You know, finishing second to GTA and finishing second to FIFA uh, is, is no small feat. Okay, but GTA 5 is a nine-year-old game at this point, and Madden was released in August as one of the buggiest and horribly reviewed sports games in recent memory, which makes it a big deal. The great irony is that Saints Row has always been the alternative to GTA 5, right? It was always the second banana to GTA 5, and it's happening again. Uh, there was one clip, I think, on Twitter of for Madden where the GM suite was literally on the game field and a pass couldn't be completed because it bounced off of an office wall. That's how buggy Madden is, and Saints Row, while still a buggy game in its own right, all all games released now that initially are buggy, um, couldn't beat that. So brand new reboot of a flagship franchise couldn't outsell a sports game, and my direct rival that also happens to be a decade old. If I'm the CEO, I'd be pretty annoyed. Now, I will grant you, Saints Row was also buggy as hell at release, and and you talk to anybody that was reacting, you know, you to the news, or you look into comments and message boards and everywhere online, and and they all say the same thing. Like, I want to buy this game, but I kept seeing all the reviews say how buggy and janky it was, so I wasn't going to spend full price or full freight or pre-order any of that stuff. Uh, but the majority of those issues were and have been and will be fixed with each new major update or patch, whereas people are still memeing Madden games a full month after release, right? There there are still massive problems and bugs with Madden, and still, even though you know that, it's still outselling it. And I get it, there's only the one football game, but um, why are you spending money on a game you know is broken, regardless if it's the only option in the market, okay? Uh, on Twitter... Axios's uh, Stephen Totillo said that the CEO, uh, when talking about Saints Row, uh, does want to wait until the quarterly reports uh, on an investor call open to the media uh, because they do expect it to make money. They do. However, the slow reception does seem to affect their ability to make money slightly. Uh, As uh, more and more reboots come out, though, um, who are chasing nostalgia, is that enough to garner sales and worth the effort rather than the creation of just a new IP? Given the cost of what it takes to make one of these games, why not just make something new? Now, when we are honest about Saints Row, uh, it's the second tier option of an open world crime game that unfortunately had GTA steal their whole unique concept with GTA 5, given the vacuum left by its absence. 
what made Saints Row unique to its GTA counter and 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 to, as its GTA counterpart was that while the GTA series starting with three and through four, so including San Andreas, um, and uh, you know the uh, GTA Miami, I keep forgetting what it was originally called, but that's that's what it is, right? Um, it, you know the difference between the two was that GTA had it was funny and had its absurd jokes for the most part, but it was still a very gritty crime game. Uh, Saints Row focused less on the grit and more on the absurd. It ratcheted up the jokes and the comedy and insanity to 11, and that's the best way that they could differentiate their game, their game from their main competition. And yes, the jokes were crude, and the jokes wouldn't make it now. And and it's not a, a woke thing. It is a um, some of those things just genuinely 20 years later can't be done. Uh, but then... Saints Row 4 flopped, and in its place, GTA 5 amped up their jokes. So with that vacuum created, right, when GTA 5 came out, it amped up the jokes. It amped up the absurdity, and it amped up the insanity, while also creating one of the best games of the last 20 years. Uh, Saints Row couldn't afford to be anything but perfect with their reboot, and it wasn't. Good sales aren't enough in today's market, and good isn't good enough. Um, GTA 5 went saints row while maintaining the uh impeccable gta gameplay so that's an issue right um reboots haven't been uncommon final fantasy 7 remake came out with the obviously significant facelift to massive acclaim in sales mortal kombat saw a retcon and reboot to great success hitman had the same issues with it where a sequel destroys goodwill from their fans only for a reboot in 2016 that has still kept major support with each new update and levels. Um, even games like Tomb Raider and Assassin's Creed have seen recent and massive reboots um, and complete changes to core gameplay, but fans swallowed those games whole with sales and awards. Um, Assassin's Creed moving to more action over stealth with Origins and with Tomb Raider embracing the style of games like Uncharted while maintaining their core elements and what made Laura Croft unique, right? Those games weren't without their flaws and bugs either. But unlike Saints Row, those games were the king or queen of their specific genres, right? They didn't have to be perfect. They just had to be pretty damn good to get good sales. Um, Saints Row had to be perfect and it wasn't. Uh, when new games or reboots come out and they're kind of hoping nostalgia can help carry them, they need to stand out from the crowd. For example, uh, the newest T uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles title used the, the power of modern machines but took the effort to make it a flawless representation of their 90s arcade titles, right? The um, arcade games. Uh, the new Streets of Rage okay, title took their uh, incredibly successful formula and just gave it a facelift, an engine update. We get the nostalgia fix for those of us, like I said in, in the previous segment, the average gamer age is 35 years old when we were talking about Twitch. We get the nostalgia fix of our youth while also seeing major updates in the game's quality. Now, this isn't to say that Saints Row can't fix things, but the standards for this sort of thing have changed. All right, uh, The market expects quality at this point because even indie titles where people are in, studios of, in a studio of five people okay, are coming out that are Game of the Year candidates. Uh, when you're trying to sell what to many who weren't even alive when Saints Row was in its heyday, a second-tier knockoff of GTA V, you've got problems. you got to remember this. The first Saints Row game came out 16 years ago. Uh, 
those players are my age at the youngest and possibly in their 40s now. And while the average age of a gamer is 35, it's that 18 to 24 age group that you're trying to hit because they have the most time to play concurrently. Those kids were either toddlers or in kindergarten when the last good Saints Row game came out. Um, you know, the, the when Saint, Saints Row 3 is the most recent title, it's it's 16 years ago, so that, that was around 2010-ish that... That game came out. Those kids were in elementary school, and there was another. There was GTA existed, so they're more familiar with GTA. Um, they're the kids of GTA Five right now, right? And Saints Row had to be at least as good as one of the best games of all time. Think about that for a second, right? They're doing a reboot. They're doing this, this, this a complete, a total facelift and reboot of a of a franchise that, in its own right, was successful, but was always playing second fiddle to GTA. And so when this game came out, when they were hunting those nostalgia dollars, they're fighting for kids that don't exist, right? They're fighting for people that are in their 30s or 40s who are like, yeah, I could buy that, but I'd rather just play GTA 5. Oh, and by the way, GTA 6 is coming out soon. Um, and it looks like it's going to take place in Florida, which sounds crazy and insane and totally Saints Row. Oh, wait, it's GTA 5 or GTA, and now it's uh, it's got all the fun parts of Saints Row. So if I'm going to get impeccable gameplay and all that other stuff, then that's great. So um, like I said, Saints Row, this reboot, had to at least be as good as one of the best games of all time. And in the end, it never had a chance. Okay, that brings the show to a close. I want to thank you all for listening and I kind of hope you continue to listen every week and download this episode. Be sure to reach out and subscribe to us on our socials and and comment where you can, wherever it is you find this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. I, I hope you enjoyed. And if you didn't, that's okay. I'm not your parents. I'm just a dad and his PC.